positively and pray very deeply. But it is a blessing to come together on the Lord's Day. It's encouraging. It is such a thing that, in fact, it sets us on a course to appreciate some of the thoughts we just sang together. Worthy of praise is Christ our Redeemer. In Revelation 5, verse 12, in fact, perhaps the anthem upon which that song was based, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and blessing. And so I hope that these songs and the whole attribute of our service will be a very great blessing for us because a merry heart is a great medicine, the Proverbs writer will tell us. For the next few moments this morning, could I invite you to reflect with me on some of that reading that Cale just shared with us a moment ago. Both close and far is the title I gave to the, to the message this morning. But my hope is, as we extract several truths from that, that we can in fact use it in such a dramatic way to encourage us in our faithful service to Jesus Christ our Lord. You may have noticed the title has two matters in it that may seem very much opposite. How could you be both close and far at the same time. It looks like if you're close to something, then you aren't far from it. But on the other hand, if you're far from it, then you are not close. But yet, I tried to entitle it in such a way that both are true. It is in that regard that the rich young ruler, the person of whom we just noticed in that reading, comes before us, and you may notice on this next slide, as we begin to reflect upon the rich young ruler, first of all, let's acquaint, reacquaint ourselves with the record itself, and then we will make some applications and hopefully do so in a way that will be very encouraging to each of us. The text tells us that this rich young person, he came running to Jesus, and at the very initial observation you might note this, no single gospel writer tells us all of those facts. This is one of the prime examples that remind us of how important it is to put together the fullness of what each gospel writer has to say. For instance, it is Matthew who tells us that he was young. Neither Mark nor Luke tell us that. It is Mark that tells us he ran to Jesus. Neither Matthew nor Luke tell us that. It is, in fact, Luke that tells us he's a ruler. We wouldn't know that if we just depended on either Matthew or Mark. And yet, putting it all together, a rich, young ruler came with a degree of passion and interest, and he came running to Jesus. And in fact, Mark will even say he kneels before him. We are told very clearly that this young man was very interested. He was very passionate. He was very concerned about what the Master would have to say. But as you can also tell upon that particular slide, one of the first things we might notice is several times in the gospel accounts, a person or maybe a group of people would ask Jesus a question and their goal was not to learn much. Their goal was to tempt Him. It would not appear that was the case here. In fact, Mark will say that Jesus loved Him. And the wording in the original language would suggest that there was no hypocrisy in this. There would suggest there was nothing in the character of the man that would in fact lead us to think that he was not sincere about his question. A rich young ruler came running to Jesus. And he had a question for the Master. Good Master, what good thing should I do that I may inherit eternal life? That's a great question. 
You may notice that as he asked that question, doesn't it remind us rather interestingly that again, the sincerity that went with it should remind us of how great that question is. This rich young ruler understood that there is such a thing as eternal life, and he wanted to know what had to be done to secure it, that he might enjoy it. Now, as you and I reflect upon that for the remainder of the lesson this morning, we shall be able, in fact, to apply some of those things to ourselves. Let's notice what the Lord first said. Looking back to Luke chapter 18. Again, as Cale read that in our hearing just a moment ago, could I direct your attention to verse 19. Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one that is God. So the Lord Himself initially then said, Clearly you understand that ultimate goodness rests with God, and therefore anything that I share as an answer you should attribute to God Himself. In other words, God has the answer to what you're asking me. Wouldn't we all agree that's still true today? God alone has the answer to what one must do to inherit eternal life. We can't go to the government for that answer. We can't go to those at our workplace for that answer. We cannot go to any other source. Let's read even further. Verse number 20. Did you notice that the thing the Master next noted is this? After highlighting what good is, He said, Thou knowest the commandments. Might you and I take initial observation, commandments and eternal life go hand in hand. You can't have eternal life without proper response to the commandments. And the Lord here to him said, Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. Now as you reflect upon Matthew's version of this, you'll notice that in fact those are listed, but also we notice that the Lord said something in addition to that. But could we at least note, He directed His attention to what you and I would call the Ten Commandments. In other words, of those commandments listed in Exodus chapter 20 and repeated in Deuteronomy 5, the Master quoted five out of the ten of them. Beginning with, again, honoring father and mother, at least in terms of the original provision of them, and continuing through, thou shalt not bear false witness. The Lord spoke then about the need, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, honor your parents, and do not bear false witness. As all of those things are highlighted, could we then at least observe the following? Commandments are going to be important. As I mentioned earlier, Matthew adds that Jesus also said this, Love your neighbor as yourself. Now that wasn't in the Ten Commandments as per what was given in Exodus 20, but you and I remember Jesus on another occasion would say the second greatest commandment of all is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. Now that statement of Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, highlights in our thinking, we've at least rehearsed a bit so far about this conversation. Let's note how it ended. After Jesus said this, the young man said, I have kept all of them from my youth. Jesus now did this. You lack one more thing. One more thing you lack in order to be perfect. 
Don't you know at this point that the young man surely had an intense interest? What's he about to say? I've kept the commandments. Jesus said, go sell what you own. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And if you do that, you will be perfect. Now that discussion ended like this. The text, as Luke pointed it out to us, said when he heard this, verse 23, he was very sorrowful because he was rich. He was sorrowful. He had gone and asked this tremendous question, and he had heard the Master's answer. And yet upon hearing it, he was sorrowful because he was rich. With that rehearsal of some of the facts and considerations of it, could I invite you to note a few quick observations as we make these applications to ourselves? First of all, when you and I think about the rich young ruler, maybe our thought is almost exclusively negative. But could I offer at least a few positive considerations first? Wouldn't we at least have to admit, he came to the right place. Let's piece that together in the following way. First of all, Mark tells us clearly Jesus previously had been teaching in a different location. Specifically, the text says, in the house. But then the text goes on to say he had gone to a different location. This rich young ruler apparently had done enough research to know where Jesus was, and he exerted the effort to come to him. Now, we don't know what distance that may have been, but at least we would have to applaud him in the regard that he did come to the right place, though that may have required a significant effort on his part. What about you and me today to come to the right place? Sometimes we can search for the answers of life in a myriad of locations. We might search for them in the records of the writings of men. We might search for them on the television screen. We might search for them in the newspaper. We might search for them in other avenues and venues of life. May we never forget the fact that when it comes to eternal life, we must come to the right place. And the church of our Lord, of course, is that place to which we should ever hold the regard. For isn't it true? 1 Timothy 3.15, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. No wonder then, the grueler came to the right place. What about the second observation? He came to the right person. The right person. There's a lot of people with a lot of wisdom touching a lot of different subjects. And sometimes those are worthy of our consideration, to be sure. And yet, in the final analysis, when it comes to the subject that was on the mind of the ruler, eternal life, he came to the right person. Did you know he did not go to the priest? He did not go to a Levite. He did not go to a Pharisee. He came to Jesus. And he asked the Master, he asked him, What good thing must I do that I may inherit eternal life? Today, how often do you and I think of other verses of Scripture that also remind us of that truth? Do you recall the scene in John chapter 6? The Lord had preached a very challenging sermon. 
when he came to the end of it, the text says this in verse 66. Many of his disciples turned and walked no more with him. Now, we don't often think about that attribute of the Lord's preaching. We tend to think about the fact he invited, he drew, he encouraged folks to come, and he did. But he left them to make the final decision. And on that occasion, many of them left him. How many of them ever came back? We do not know. But we know this, Jesus on that occasion turned and asked the others that were there and said, will you also go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Notice how clearly that rings with our observation here. Only Jesus has the words of eternal life. It's not to be found in Buddha, Confucius, or any other individual that might be named. In Acts 4, verse number 12, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. At that point, as you'll notice on the slide, we've at least reflected upon two observations. Let's try a third one. This young ruler who came running to Jesus, in addition to the observation that he came to the right person and he was in the right place, isn't it also true he asked the right question? It would seem, based on the Word of God, that it is a safe statement to make that the grandest, the greatest, the most significant of all questions that a human being can ask is this, what must I do to be saved? You know, all the other questions that you and I may ask over the course of a day or over the course of a lifetime, and it's not to say that they're all unimportant, but what it is to say is this, this one has implications far beyond this life. It has implications for all eternity and very clear ones. For that reason, this rich young ruler, you'll notice he came running to Jesus. And at that point, just think about all the things that one might be in a position to ask Jesus. I'm sure that all of us on many occasions have reflected, you know, if I had an opportunity to sit with Jesus, there's a lot of things I'd like to ask Him. And I'm sure that's true of all of us. Would we have to at least admire that the young ruler, he came and the question he asked was the grandest of all. What good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? May I suggest that sometimes there's a lot of religious folk that waste a lot of time messing around with questions that are of no eternal consequence. Maybe you have read articles or maybe you've had discussions with those who will spend a great length of time debating what was the wood the cross was made of. The Bible doesn't say and I don't know and it doesn't matter. Or there are those who will argue, what about the thorn bush out of which the thorns were woven that made the, cr the crown on the Lord's head? I don't know what kind of thorn bush it was. The Bible doesn't say. And it doesn't matter. It won't impact one's faithfulness to the Lord one way or the other if you know what kind of wood the cross was made of. Somewhat reminds us of the statements that Paul made to Timothy. Don't deal with these questions that do nothing but gender strife. 1 Timothy 1 verse 4. Today, should we at least admit, the young ruler asked the best of all questions. 
What about you and me today? Is that the question to which we turn our attention most directly? As we sojourn in this flesh, we have a period of time, a time of preparation. And once our sojourn here is over, our opportunity for preparation is also ended. Have we invested it wisely? To say the very least, I would ask you to reflect on two other passages of the book of Acts. In Acts 16, of all possible interesting scenarios, reflect with me on this one. Two fellows in a jail cell and an earthquake at midnight, you may well remember, jarred open the doors and loosened their shackles. And, and the jailer, in fact, was very concerned and ran in. And you may recall that it was the discussion that included this question. The jailer asked, What must I do to be saved? Now, there's a lot of other things he might have asked at that moment. It was the wee hours of the morning. It was no doubt a bit after midnight. And you might could think of a lot of different questions to ask. And he asked, What must I do to be saved? Oh, if only that kind of question would reverberate in the thinking of so many today. In Acts 2 verse 38, you may well remember, it was they who asked on Pentecost, Men and brethren, what shall we do? No wonder one final thing on this slide is this. The jailer had come to the right per or rather the, the young ruler had come to the right person. He was in the right place, and he asked the right question. But you'll also note this, he heard the right answer. For after all, he had asked Jesus, and the answer the Master gave was, Keep the commandments. Now let's devote just a moment to this observation. The phrase, Keep the commandments, is specifically included in Matthew and Mark's version. But that same message is so needful for us today. Now let's be sure we appreciate that the commandments under which you and I serve are not the same ones under which the ruler served. That's why the Lord quoted to him the Ten Commandments, or at least part of it. You and I are not under the Ten Commandments today. We never were. You and I are Gentiles, at least per the biblical uh, designation. That was only given to Hebrew people. And so all Hebrews were subject to it. Now... You and I have a different set of commandments. In Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. It is the message of the Christ today. Not those Ten Commandments per se. Now surely any one of them repeated in the New Testament would still be, of course, in force for us but the commandments, keeping the commandments. At that point, of course, the gospel of Jesus Christ contains those commandments that the Master has delivered to us. In Romans 1.16, for example, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel of Christ. And that's why you and I will, of course, always cling to that message. It is the message of salvation. It's the message of truth. 
Now, this rich young ruler was told to keep the commandments, and the commandments to which you and I will turn our attention are those highlighted in the gospel of Christ. In Romans 6, verse 17, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. That doctrine delivered to the Romans, that same doctrine, of course, the gospel delivered to us. Salvation, you see, requires obedience just like it did for the ruler. At that point, the fifth and final lesson. Back to the title of the lesson, Close and Far. The rich young ruler was so close. May we again say he had come to the right place. He had heard the right answer. He had asked the right question. He came to the right person. But the text says he went away sorrowful. He didn't like the answer. He wasn't interested in fulfilling the answer, apparently. He went away sorrowful, and the text says he was very rich. He loved something more than Jesus. He loved something more than the eternal life that he had asked about. He loved his riches. He loved the things he enjoyed here in this life. The message is evident, isn't it? He was close. He was face to face with Jesus, and he had the perfect answer. He just chose the wrong thing. Today, as we reflect upon this year as difficult in some ways as it has been, and the challenges it has brought, and the current state in which we are, doesn't it remind us that standing above all of it, is our allegiance, our loyalty, our faithfulness to Jesus the Christ. We don't want to be close only. We want to be close and right with Him, faithful to His cause. You see, this ruler was close, but he was still very far away because his heart wasn't in it. Doesn't that remind us of the message that God gave Ezekiel to tell His people? This people, they come to me, but their heart's not in it. They, you see, weren't interested in what Ezekiel had to say. Sometimes that might be characteristic of us. We like the thought of baby Jesus. And we all are aware that this time of year, a lot of people think about baby Jesus. Innocent, sweet, pure. But the fact is, the baby Jesus can't command you to do anything. He just lays there. He can't talk at all. But baby Jesus grew up. And adult Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. And adult Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And adult Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. It's a fine thing to adore the biblical record in every regard, including the birth of Christ. But may we not forget, we need to love the adult Jesus too. And the adult Jesus says there are some commands to be kept a life of loyalty to be led, a degree in faith to be appreciated. As we draw this lesson to its conclusion this morning, let's turn to this final slide, which is this. I entitled the lesson, Both Close and Far, to remind us that the rich young ruler was close to Jesus. He was so close physically, but yet so far away because he didn't like the message. 
Sometimes today we are led to think that close is good enough. But could I say that student that's close to earning an A, well, that's not an A. It's a B. It's not the same thing. Furthermore, that team that's close to winning a championship but loses in the final game, well, they still didn't win it. And furthermore, in this case, the ruler was close, but he was still so far. I hope that each of us will then utilize the teaching of the matter concerning the rich young ruler to remind us that close is not good enough. We want to be altogether faithful to the Lord, true to His cause, and perhaps as we reflect upon this new year that will soon begin, if, if God so blesses us, we will have the opportunity in faith to direct our life, not just in a way that's close, but in a way that is altogether near and faithful to Jesus. Today, as we close this lesson, let's offer the invitation in this way. It was Jesus who said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you would like to have rest, I can't give it to you. Our elders can't give it to you. They can advise and counsel, and they can, in fact, open the Word of God in which Jesus can offer you that peace and that comfort. And oh, how much we would like for you to enjoy the same tranquility, the same serenity, the same peacefulness that we do. Regardless what things happen in this world, we have a hope that transcends it. We have a reality that goes far beyond it. And if you today do not enjoy that kind of peace, the Lord can give it to you. He said, in the world you're going to have tribulation, John 16, 33, but I will give you peace. My peace will be with you, Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Today, if you're not a faithful Christian, it could be that you've never obeyed the gospel initially. It could be that to this point you've understood what the Lord did at Calvary, but you've never taken the moment to obey what He said to do. Why don't you do that today? Believe in Jesus with all of your heart, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Upon that, doing that, live faithfully throughout this life. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect sinlessly, but it does mean when you falter and fall, the Lord will be there if you'll repent and confess. He'll forgive it, and you'll still be on the road to salvation. But that does mean that if there might be someone in this number who has lived in a way that's brought disgrace and shame upon the name of Christ, and you haven't lived as you know you should, it has become a habit. Why don't you come back to your first love today? We'd be delighted to observe in you a different response than the rich young ruler gave. He was sorrowful at the Lord's message. You, in gladness of heart, could be drawn near to Christ as He forgives you. And if we could pray on your behalf today, we'd love to do it. This song of encouragement has been chosen, and if you'd like to come, we'd certainly invite you to do it now while together we stand and sing.